The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference and NetApp presents The Importance of Upskilling. Stay current in the evolving technology world. A professional development seminar. Featuring Product Marketing Manager Logan Carrington. Global AI Solutions Engineer Brandon Johnson. HR Program Manager Justin Tomlin. Senior Software Engineer Mecca Williams and Vice President of Engineering, Greg Keller. This seminar focuses on the importance of upskilling to stay competitive in the world of technology. You will learn about some of the latest tech trends as well as strategies to keep up with the rapid evolution of new technologies. Becoming a successful technologist is not just about technical aptitude. We will discuss the importance of soft skills, sometimes referred to as employability skills, and how to combine technical acumen with these soft skills to create a personal brand that can facilitate a successful and fulfilling career in technology. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference and NetApp presents the importance of upskilling. Stay current in the evolving technology world. Featuring Logan Carrington, Brandon Johnson, Justin Tomlin, Mecca Williams, and Greg Keller. Okay, so we're about ready to get started. Thank you for choosing to spend your afternoon with us. Um, and, uh, and welcome. Hopefully you've been having a great day and great first full day of your conference. Um, and we know you could have chosen any session, so we're happy that you're here with us. Um, so welcome to the importance of upskilling. Stay current in the evolving technology world. My name is Mecca Williams. I'm a senior engineer with NetApp. I'm not going to say how many years I've been with NetApp. Just I've been in technology for a while. So this is a very important topic that I, I know a little bit about. Um, joining me today are my esteemed colleagues. Immediately to my right, Greg Keller, Vice President of Engineering. Feel free to give them a round of applause. <laughs> Next to him is Justin Tomlin, HR Program Manager. Then we have Logan Carrington, Product Marketing Manager. And last, but certainly not least, Brandon Johnson, Global AI Solutions Engineer. So the agenda summarizes the discussion we're going to have here today. We do have a lot of content to cover, so we're going to ask that you hold your questions for the end. Um, we know that many of you have great booming speaking voices, but due to the fact that this session is being recorded, we do ask that you step to the mic to ask your questions. So first, we're going to cover a little bit about NetApp because Maybe some of you in here don't know exactly who we are. Maybe you've seen our beautiful booth and you're intrigued. So we're going to sh share a little bit more about ourselves. Then we're going to get into some of the hot technology trends because understanding newer technology, even right now, what's hot and trending, is important to understand how companies adjust and upskill, if you will. Then we're going to get into a little bit about how you can do the same for yourself in your personal career for your own personal development. And then we'll talk about not just those technical skills, 
but those soft or employability or core or essential skills, they, they go by many names, those things that you need to do to, uh, to ensure that you're a good culture fit and that you're communicating effectively with your, with your coworkers and your colleagues. And lastly, we're gonna talk about how to brand yourself and combine all of that into a package that you can use to advertise what you have to offer to those that you're looking to to seek opportunity. So just out of curiosity, how many of you are familiar with NetApp? Raise your hand. This does not surprise us one bit. <laughs> so Greg Keller is going to share with you a little bit about who we are. Thanks, Becca. And, and, and Mecca, you should give her a hand as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so although uh, you know, NetApp's been around for 27 years, so we are, I guess, a, a, a young adult or uh, in, in our in our in our lifespan of companies. Uh, but you know, we have remade ourselves uh, multiple times, even in those in those short years. But we are a global company. We have uh, operations operations in 140 countries in terms of sales. We have uh, development uh, operations in Silicon Valley. Our, our headquarters is in Sunnyvale, uh, but we have a large, a large operation in Raleigh, where Mecca and I work and Justin work, uh, as well as Pittsburgh and Boston and uh, Bangalore, India. Uh, we also have uh, up in Vancouver, Canada, and am I missing any others? Oh, Israel. We have several operations in Israel as well. So we, we, we literally have development around the world as well as we have uh, sales operations around the world. We have over 10,000 employees uh, throughout the company. Um, and fundamentally, we help customers manage their data. And, and so what does managing data mean? Um, we used to be thought of just a storage company. To have your data, you store it, you know, your, your applications are, are, are on the server, the data is stored, stored in a storage vault, and that was it. Um, but it's become much more than that now. In fact, you know, the data you, you your companies have has an immense amount of value, and, and companies that are figuring out how to leverage that data are the ones that are successful. Um, and that's really being driven by a, a variety of different uh, reasons. AI is one. AI is, if you have access to data and you can move that data around effectively, you can do the analysis, it could be in the cloud, it could be in, in your on-prem, it could be in a, in a shared public or private cloud that you've created yourself or you maybe are leasing from, from another company. So being able to manage your data, because you may want to move that data, but it's still your data. How do you, how do you protect it? How do you ensure that you don't have, uh, you know, uh, you can protect yourself from ransomware, for example. So these are the types of things that NetApp allows you to do with your data. And it's a complex science because you, you really want to make sure that in all cases you have copies of your data, protect your data, and, and, and have access to your data at any given time. Even if you have a disaster at one location, you want to be able to bring your operations up in another location. And we make that all uh, simple for you to do and also effective for you to keep your business going. So as I said, we drive value to both the top and bottom line. We can save companies money by, by leveraging different aspects of how we, how we manage your data. Uh, we also can give you new sources of revenue by providing you ways to monetize that data. Two key things that are really Im important in, in, the, in the industry. Um, we have... Uh, <coughs> um, a lot of new use cases. I mentioned AI as being one, 
you know, the second is, is, is of course, just leveraging the cloud. Uh, you can actually run our software in your data center, but you can also run a version of the software in Amazon. You can run it in Azure. You can run it in Google Cloud Platform. So you have the same experience with your software, whether you're using it in the, in the cloud or on-premise, uh, which gives you, you know, a unique advantage. So that's one way you can monetize it. So for example, you're running an e-commerce operation, you know, Christmas is coming. You know you're going to have a lot more orders coming, coming in, but you may not want to add more uh, capacity in your data center. You can now spin up versions of, of your application in the cloud, move that data using ONTAP, for example, which is our primary operating system, although we have several, and, and then leverage that ability to ramp up your e-commerce operations in the cloud. Christmas finishes up, you can shut down those, and so you spend those dollars just for the, the weeks that are important to you, having that ex, extra capacity, and you can ramp it down after the holidays are over. So we give you that capability of doing that. So that's how you can actually monetize with your, with your data. Um, you know, as, as part of our company vision and culture, we have, we have you know, embraced in, in uh, diversity, inclusion, belonging in a very meaningful way. In fact, we have established a, a, a set of operations. We have 28 employees here from, uh, from various NetApp sites uh, uh, from around the United States. And we have, in, in, we have uh, representatives from the, we participate in the Women of Color, we participate in Grace Hopper, uh, in Haku, which is the Hispanic uh, uh, community as well. So we have a wide variety of, of participation in, in the diversity and inclusion uh, uh, environments. It's become very important to us, and that's one of the reasons we're, we're here today and here at this, at this conference. I think it's the second year we've been uh, participating with, with BEA. We're also part of, uh, of AMI, the Advancing Minorities Interest in Engineering uh, uh, Association, which is, is, which is uh, tied in with HAKU. And so we're partnering now with NCANT University, which is close by to Raleigh, where some of us are from, and, and working with the, those organizations as well. We have significant funding going towards Amy, as well as, as funding towards the, the schools that we're participating with. Um, in addition, we have uh, a variety of different affinity groups that have started, and most of these are actually just hitting their one-year anniversary uh, you know, this month, so it's a, it's a big month for us. Um, that includes the, uh, the network of uh, blacks in tech, uh, women in technology. Women in technology has been around for quite a few yeah, years. That's, that's, a, that's a long-term one. Uh, the NetApp veterans, as well as Latinos, Unidos, and NetApp. So all these have, most of these have started very recently for us. So, so NetApp is really a company driven by innovation, and um, it really started really early on. So our founder, Dave Hitz, was trying to solve a problem which, to improve performance. And, and RAID is a, an algorithm we use to protect the data uh, as it, as it uh, goes out to the disk drives. Uh, but he found when he was creating this way to improve that performance, the read performance, the right performance of RAID, that he created what was a unique way of doing what we call a snapshot. It's a point-in-time copy of that data. And it was a very efficient way of doing it as well. It was, you, it was revolutionary because the way it had been done before, you just make a copy and you'd make, continue to make copies. Well, when you make copies, you take up more space. It also costs performance because it takes time to actually move the data over. 
And the way he did it was really just using a simple pointer uh, and, and, and moving the pointer instead of actually moving the data. Uh, with that revolutionary step, he created a new way to do, you know, store data and protect your data. And it became kind of the, 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 the baseline of what we do. We very often have found that we innovate by solving one problem and finding another use case. Uh, another example is that um, probably about 15 years ago, we had some engineers that were looking to reduce the cost of testing our product. You know, one of the things we used to do is we, in fact, when I first started, they said every time we hire an engineer, we, we buy them a system, which was ex extremely expensive, right? Um, well, what they end up doing is they found that they could run the uh, ONTAP operating system in a virtual version, and we didn't have to buy the hardware. You could run it in software. Uh, well, that creation is the same technology we're now using to run the cloud. We can run in a cloud environment. So using, by creating that, that virtual version running in a Linux environment allowed us to actually uh, now leverage that same technology in the cloud. So it's, it's those types of innovations, fixing one problem in a creative way, but we also find other ways of using that technology. And that innovation has driven us for, for many, many years and has made us a very successful company. Um, we continue to look for new ways to solve problems. Uh, one of the things that uh, <coughs> um, Mecca is involved with was DevOps environments. DevOps is a way to actually utilize uh, a more uh, more consistent uh, uh, approach to doing development. Uh, but that same thing has now driven the quality of our product to levels that we never saw before when we did our typical waterfall model of development. So again, we innovate in many different ways. It's not just purely in developing products. Uh, we do uh, hackathons twice a year, and uh, two weeks ago we, we kicked off our hackathon for, actually it was the beginning of last week, we kicked off our hackathon. We had over 200 teams around the world developing any product they wanted to, or, any, or taking any concept they wanted to. Of those projects that we went through, we had over 20 which we've identified as potential products or, or additions to our product set, or additions to how we do our test process, et cetera. We've highlighted those, and we're going to actually nurture those through, through our process. So that's how we drive innovation. Uh, <clears throat> but when you're talking about doing that, that means you're having to teach yourself new skills, new capabilities uh, as you go through that process. And it becomes a, a very powerful way for people to upskill themselves. And, and Mecca's probably going to talk a little bit about what she did last week. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, NetApp technology, real quick, let me get a summarize. So, you know, you really probably don't realize that you touch NetApp technology quite often. Um, <clears throat> if you're streaming songs or videos, um, if, if, you, if you've used products that may have a fruit involved with their symbol, you're probably using NetApp products at the back end of that. Um, <clears throat> fueling and charging your car. Uh, if you have an electric car and uh, you're charging it, it probably has some AI that's being developed or leverages our product at, at the back end. Um, <clears throat> stock prices, uh, very many of the financial industry use this. Of course, protecting data is very important for financial, medical, et cetera, industries. And so in many cases, you'll find that our product's being used there. Sharing your experiences. The, the biggest social media company is one of our customers, and you would never know that. So that's why you probably use NetApp more often than you ever know, but you just don't see it because we are you know, part of the customer's back end. 
Um, and, and I mentioned before, you know, data is the driver of the industry. The, the advancement of the use of data has become the, you know, the key driver for, for businesses to, to monetize it. And, and if you're not keeping up, and if companies aren't keeping up, and people that are at those companies are not keeping up on the technology, you're getting behind. And those changes are happening so much faster than they ever, ever have happened before. It's become critical for, for, for companies and people to continue, continue to upskill. Um, <clears throat> finally, I'm just going to close out with some transformations that we've made. You know, we've we've really moved towards the cloud. Cloud is our number one strategy. In fact, even in our 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 uh, our, our third quarter results we published uh, this past week, our CEO said very clearly, our our focus is a cloud. So we've made that change. We've been making it for quite some time, but our partnerships with Azure, particularly uh, Google Cloud and AWS, are really driving that. Um, technology changes such as flash memory, replacing spinning media, which is the, the foundation for, for, for data storage. Uh, that transition has happened very quickly, but it continues to move uh, in, in, in a very fast pace. Um, Hyperconverged infrastructure is a different way of, of thinking about compute, simplifies it, and that's another area that we've invested to, to take advantage of that, that transition. And then most of our customers are actually using on-premise, cloud, and, and combinations. And we call that a hybrid or a hybrid multi-cloud, where they, they don't want to be stuck with one cloud provider. They want to be able to move data to the lowest cost provider. Sometimes Microsoft might be cheaper than, than Google. And, and so they want to be able to move their data to take advantage of, of, of pricing changes. Um, so these, these major transitions are really driving us to have to do uh, digital transformation, which is really what's driving the, the need for us to have new skills, new capabilities, and continuing to, to, to make a difference that way. So with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Mecca. Thanks, Greg. Um, so that's a little bit more about NetApp. Um, and the data fabric on the last slide where Greg was talking about digital transformation is a great segue into the concept of how a company upskills. So as I said previously, I've been at NetApp long enough to see um, the impact of innovation on, um, on our portfolio, on the solutions that we provide. Um, when I started at NetApp, we, I worked on uh, SAN technology, but NetApp at the time was very much a, a NAS, a file-based access company, and then we rolled into block-based access. Um, since then, uh, not only has transport protocols evolved, um, the medium that the data is stored on has evolved, but Greg touched on this earlier, platforms have evolved. We've gone from, you know, if you want to take it back to mainframe, we've gone from mainframe to timeshare. Um, we've gone to bare metal servers with higher compute capabilities. Um, then we moved on to virtualization, and that really paved the road for what we know today as the cloud. And the figure all the way to the right demonstrates how NetApp has incorporated cloud into its portfolio. Companies have to make decisions on how to integrate newer technologies into their portfolio while maintaining um, valuable services to their customers. Um, NetApp, Greg mentioned our main operating system that we offer is ONTAP. It's not the only one, but ONTAP is a big part of our customer experience. So we want customers to take advantage of newer technologies, 
but we don't want to disrupt their workflows in a way that they all have to go out and hire new people or learn a, an entirely new set of skills, right? We want to maintain, um, so NetApp is a trusted storage provider and our customers know how to use our tools. We don't want to disrupt them so much with newer technologies. So companies have to be smart about how they integrate these things. So the figure all the way to the right demonstrates some of these products and how we've been able to do that. If we have customers that are used to using ONTAP, they can use that very same version of ONTAP in the cloud. Um, if we have customers that are more comfortable with just using the cloud and, and they're not so interested in the specifics and they just want storage, we have cloud volume services. Um, we also are data stewards. And we can offer an extended set of services by helping customers examine and be smart about their data. They can examine their workloads um, for data that they're using our services for to determine which cloud is smarter to run their, their, workloads, or their workloads on. Um, we provide insights that give customers information about their workload that we have on the back end because, hey, we, we're storing your data for you. Um, and we also have uh, orchestration services for um, container services. So for application lifecycle management, we enable you to deploy your container applications. So this, these are ways that NetApp has incorporated newer technologies, but still providing um, trusted storage provider services to our customers in a way that they're familiar with. The products all the way on the, oh, I guess that was backwards. That was the, the figures on your left were an example of those products. The figures on your right are more so examples of how customers today are using these technologies to offer you faster, more accessible, and more reliable services. And the business demands that we integrate new technology into our services. So if you, use Uber today, um, and you're young enough to only have ever used Uber, then you don't remember the days when you had to pick up a telephone and call a taxi cab, right? And so um, technologies like cloud help us to offer edge-type services like Uber. And back in the day, you had to open up a catalog and make a phone call to do shopping, right? You couldn't shop online. Technologies like cloud enable services like Amazon, where you don't even have to talk to anybody and you don't even really have to get on the computer anymore. And you can probably use Alexa or Siri to just order your, your products in your shopping cart and check out without typing a single key on, your, on, your, on a keyboard. So technology is really important. Um, cloud would have been the newer technology trend a couple of years ago, actually. We're moving more into newer technologies like containers. And for that discussion, I'm going to turn it over to Logan. Perfect. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's working. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, thank you, Becca. Um, we talked about containers. The first thing that comes to my mind, I think I know the answer to this question already. But by show of hands, how many of you guys have heard of Alexa, use Alexa, have heard of Siri, or use Siri? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Thankfully, everybody can raise their hand, uh, myself included. When I think of containers, I think of virtualization, think of using an app, configuring it to your needs. In that case, that's what Alexa and Siri are both doing. So you're saying, hey, Alexa, volume two. Hey, Alexa, lights on, lights off. You know, like, like a lights on type of thing. Also, in terms of Siri, hey, Siri, what's the weather like today? 
situation where you're using a tool for your various components and your various needs as a subset of cloud in terms of an area where this is what I need to utilize my technology for. In terms of a business case, you know, a lot of different things on there in terms of, okay, websites. Uh, as Mecca talked about with Uber, like, hey, Siri, call me an Uber. And we, if some of you were in the Visa presentation for Leading Voices yesterday, we saw a situation where virtualization was a part of the entire commercial. And, hey, the grandfather is coming in town. Let's buy him a TV. Let's get a pizza. Let's all these things in regards to containers utilized to basically minimize the effort and the work we have to do on our own. In the case, and my, my parents call it, us being lazy and dependent on technology. <laughs> in regards to you know, what is NetApp doing in that space, it's a situation where Kubernetes starts with the container process, going through the process of virtualization and utilizing these resources for our own needs. So you're looking at it from the lens of, okay, Siri and Alexa as a product, but as a corporation, as a Kubernetes situation, you're able to utilize the container for various components, all for the needs of you know, minimizing the effort that's needed on all of our ends. So as Mecca talked about before with cloud, and I'm touching on the relation to containers, uh, my counterpart Brandon will touch more now on the concept of how AI is affecting no technological scope. Uh, so AI, everyone here has probably heard of AI, right? Not show of hands, who's heard of AI? If you haven't, I'm, I'm gonna be very surprised. <laughs> right, so it's a buzzword, you know, but, but how do we get here? Why, why is it so common now? Um, I, I think it boils down to really two things, uh, one of which affects us um, a whole lot. Um, the, the first thing is uh, compute. We finally have GPU, we have, these, we have technology that allows us to process a large quantity of information. Um, but in order to do the AI in itself, you need a lot of data, right? In order to make a self-driving car, you need to train this, this car on a lot of data. So that goes back to storage. No one really thinks of this type of stuff, but having a large quantity of, of storage um, with the devices that we have, whether it's on-premises, whether it's in cloud, uh, we create this platform that allows you to save your data so that you can actually do this, this AI stuff, right? We're not an AI company, but we enable people to do AI. Um, so on the far left here, you'll see some of these companies, uh, Microsoft. Microsoft is really big into the cloud and they make it a lot easier um, for you to be able to do AI in the cloud, right? You don't have to worry about buying additional hardware. You can just go in and use tools that are already available to you. Um, and as uh, Mecca mentioned, uh, when we, and uh, Logan mentioned, we talked about containers, right? Um, a lot of the say, newer generations, they don't really care about this hardware. They just want to develop their application and deploy it. By using things like containers, you're able to utilize this hardware without physically quite understanding it. Right? You just do your AI job, and it makes it much easier when you can go to the cloud. You just rent out, you know, you rent however much you want to use or how little you want to use, and you get the service. Um, and then Tesla. You hear a lot about Tesla lately. They have been in the news, obviously, because of their stock constantly going up. But Tesla's, uh, they're very unique in the sense of how their technology works, and it does not work like anyone else's self-driving car. Uh, so one of the unique things about Tesla is they, they don't use what we call uh, LiDAR, which is basically posting out radars and stuff. I won't go into the details, but uh, Tesla is able to really draw value from their data, right? They're constantly collecting data. They have millions of cars on the road. And so because of that, they're able to update the car. So when you buy a Tesla, the day that you buy it, that's the worst version of the car you ever have, because that car can always improve. That doesn't apply to any other car, right? You can constantly upgrade, you know, if my brakes are bad on a Tesla, I can get a software update and fix it, right? These are the things that you can do with AI that you can't necessarily do with traditional business models. Um, and going to the middle, um, obviously AI helps you be more productive. It saves you time, and it saves you a lot of time, and it also saves you a lot of money. Um, but a lot of things that uh, we're starting to use it for is like uh, it, um, safety, 
um, a huge a huge safety concern. This is why self-driving cars are becoming relevant, right? We want to see how we can reduce the amount of uh, traffic as it is, right? So we want to create things like AI. And uh, what are we doing in the AI space? We're actually doing a lot. We partner with uh, three cloud providers, um, namely AWS, uh, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud. Uh, we have our hardware sitting in their data centers. Uh, we also have partnerships with some of the leading uh, GPU providers like NVIDIA. Um, NVIDIA is actually my customer, so I work really closely with that team. So they're, they're awesome guys. Um, and so in this picture in the bottom right, we took our software and we were able to do facial recognition and we were able to do it more efficiently than you know some traditional methods. Um, this just goes to show you um, how you know our traditional NetApp, we have these huge big uh, devices and now we've kind of extracted you know our unique software from those physical boxes and allow you to put it on smaller form factor devices like the thing you see in the top right corner here. We'll be able to put our software in the cloud and that's making us unique in a lot of spaces. Did any of you go to the uh, Visa presentation last night? You might see that, right? It, it was pretty cool, but that, that's a lot of data, right? And it needs to be secured because these people, they're, they're having their payment information in the car. Where's that data going, right? Some data is being transmitted somewhere, right? And so being able to you know, use software like ours, um, we'd be able to help them and do that more securely. So in this video, as I described, uh, we, were, we were able to take a, a small camera, uh, plug it to a small single board computer like a Raspberry Pi. We were able to do facial recognition, and we were able to take those, those images that we were collecting and we were able to turn them directly into uh, AWS, which is uh, the cloud, right? So we connected something, uh, you know, with very minimal effort, you know, all as a result of our software, and that's increasingly important, right? Because the more connected devices we have, we all want them to talk to each other. Um, are there any people in here that use iPhones? <laughs> I, okay, that's a big chunk of the, um, of the room. So. What we call that NetApp is, we call this thing the data fabric, right? We have this experience where we think that all of your devices should be able to communicate with each other, regardless of where it is, right? And so you see that a lot with Apple. Um, if you have an Apple Watch, if you have a phone, if you have a laptop, you know, the moment you get a text message, it appears on all your devices. That's not necessarily the case with all phone providers. That seems very like, rudimentary, but that's the, that's, that's the same challenge that our customers have with data. Right, they have data in these places and they're not able to access it, which means they can't get to their AI project. They can't do these things because the data is in a place that's kind of locked away. And so, um, without further ado, I'm gonna pass things off and we're gonna continue. So we talked a lot about newer technologies and how a company could upskill. NetApp's been able to upskill by incorporating newer technologies. Um, Greg mentioned hackathons, which is something that hopefully you all um, do, either in academic or in corporate, um, but it really does facilitate um, learning. And so uh, Greg did mention that, that I would talk about what I did for this past hackathon, um, but it's a good example of how I personally continue to learn and upskill. So I work in automation and my uh, the tool sets that my automation provides services for are to enable teams across NetApp to test cloud solutions. And I, um, I needed to implement an, an event listener and I am an old C, C++ developer. I'm very comfortable in that space. Um, but I can't stay there because things are moving on. They're moving very far on from C and C++. And those tools are not great tools to use for automation in most cases. And if you develop on the cloud at all, then you know that cloud provides 
um, software developer kits, and they provide the baseline for all of the, the development that you need. So I pulled down an AWS software developer kit with zero Go experience, and I created an event listener using Go, programming it in Go, and it took me two days. It took one day to write the code. It took one day to test the code. And so that solved a very significant problem. And the other important thing about upskilling is that things can happen so much faster because, because of innovation and because technology is moving fast. So not only is it important for companies to make sure their employees are learning and that they are incorporating newer technologies to provide valuable services to their end users, it is extremely important, it's imperative that you upskill and that you stay current. And so I'm going to pass it along to the team to talk to you about strategies for how to do this. So we've listed a couple of things up here um, about um, talent differentiation. Um, we've been doing recruiting here as well as many others. Some of you are you know, actively looking for roles. And now uh, these are some of the things that first came to mind. Um, establishing credibility, whether you're new at a company, whether you've been at a company for a while. Um, I found, you know, when I first came out of undergrad, the first thing I had to do um, as a young engineer was establish credibility. I think that's really important, right? Be before people are going to, um, you know, before you get these promotions, et cetera, you're going to have to do the hard work and you have to show people that, you know, you're credible. And that's something that, you know, people often, they want to rush the process, but that's something that you should be um, very critical of when you first start um, at any role. Um, secondly, that goes to building your brand. Um, your brand, you have a chance to represent that um, at, you know, up here on, on the panel, um, on LinkedIn, social media, et cetera. And not many people are mindful of um, when they're representing their brand, right? And so um, Justin's going to talk a little bit more about your brand later and tips and how to, you know, improve upon that. Um, but I, that's just, that's a huge thing to like, differentiate yourself by um, building your own brand. We have this, well, I have this saying, I know it's really cliche, like, you know, people say, think outside the box, and I always say, well, why is there a box in the first place, right? You know, you shouldn't be constricting your frame of thinking. And so one of the things that I think has been helpful in my career, personally, is I don't just accept things because that's the way they typically were done, right? I question them. Um, if we, you know, if we don't have a, a logical approach or why we can't improve upon it, then perhaps it's not the right approach. I'm one of those people that feel like you can always improve upon something. I don't believe in the if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's, you can always improve. And again, going back to Tesla, I think that's one of the things that they've done well, right? They struggled at first as a company, but they continue to innovate and they continue to verticalize their business and it's starting to pay off. And uh, lastly, um, asking the right questions. Uh, sometimes it's, it's very difficult for people to um, know when to talk and, and know when to listen. Um, so if you are going to take time to you know, speak and talk to people, uh, you have to understand what questions to ask and what questions not to ask. Uh, be mindful of who's in the room with you. Um, I know I was very curious at first when I started at NetApp, so I would like, ask a bunch of questions, right? And um, I, I noticed that some people gave me a side eye sometimes. And then it took a couple of people like, you know, pulling me to the side and saying, hey, like, even if you feel that way, maybe you should like talk to this person in private, or maybe this person is better doing it that way. And so it's really like a soft skill, like understanding that um, you don't necessarily have to ask questions in the room, right, in a broader room. Maybe you pull that person to the side. Maybe you have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with them. And um, oftentimes, the answer that you were looking for is, is right there, but you need to be more strategic about how you bring it up. Um, 
I'm going to pass things off to Logan now. You're listening to The Importance of Upskilling. Stay current in the evolving technology world. A professional development seminar. Featuring Logan Carrington, Brandon Johnson, Justin Tomlin, Mecca Williams, and Greg Keller. Brought to you by NetApp and the Global Catalyst for Change, the Bayes STEM Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Perfect. Uh, thank you, Brandon. So when we talk about, talked about a lot of different things in terms of establishing credibility, building your brand. Now we have some real world examples here. Um, on the far left, you see a LinkedIn message. I know I talked to a lot of people again in the career fair um, earlier, and I've actually traveled the last couple months for uh, UVA, for, uh, sorry, UVA, NetApp's UGH uh, recruiting uh, team in California, where I'm based in Sunnyvale, California. And the first thing I've been saying is, do you have a LinkedIn? And they've been saying yes. I'm like, do you have been messaging recruiters, managers, members of different organizations, TED Talks, maybe a dog sitter, so anybody, right? about certain, certain opportunities to have a coffee chat, lunch and learn. If you know, this is something I did, being a recent college graduate myself, looking for a job, seeing in the seats that you guys were in, in some instances of, you know, how can I differentiate myself from the thousands on thousands on thousands of other applicants who have a 4.0 GPA or have a, you know, lots of work experience. That's one of the first ways I think of as it being a digital transformation era right now, using something on your phone, everybody has push notifications, you see something, you respond. Um, going forward, if you're more into, you know, I want to have a magazine, technology outlook handbooks, uh, situation on the far right, occupation outlook handbooks, at the beginning of each year, it has an understanding of what the jobs are, what are needed for certain roles, what do you need to do to differentiate from the competition, in a space where, as, we, as Brandon just talked about, you're building your brand, you're establishing credibility. Um, in an era where companies might be like, you need to have eight to 12 years of experience, you're like, okay, let me go to a different company, build this experience, work my way up, and go back into the other landscape, and now I'm in the door. Um, also, in the top pictures, Meetup. Uh, a little background on myself, I graduated from the University of Virginia a couple years ago, and I moved straight after college to Boston. I knew no one in Boston. I didn't even really know where Boston was. I was like, Boston's in Massachusetts, I'm going to Boston. <laughs> um, and that's just, I was just lost. And one of my friends at the time in, in college told me to join this application called Meetup. On this application, it has situations where you can go to brunches, you can go to networking events, you can go to the gym with people. Being a former student athlete in college, first thing I want to do is wear the gyms. And also being someone who wants to have my hair cut, I was like, where do I go? Where's, where's the barber? You go on this application, and it's just like, okay, you meet people through doing these things. You go to networking opportunities, you go to lunch and learns, you're able to do something a little differently than, okay, I'm sitting in the house and I have no, no clue what I'm doing. And the last image, Conferences, IQ, like basically going to something like a Bea conference, going to an Afrotech, going to Nesby, going to additional things outside of, okay, I'm going to work, I work out, I eat, I go to bed. Okay, what are you going to do to differentiate from everybody else? Again, going to a conference, following up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm very passionate about just, you know, engaging and working with the workforce and also being in a situation where, as Brandon said, don't be in the box, stand out of the box. There is no box, there is no ceiling. You continue to push, continue to grind, continue to do what you got to do, and you're in a situation for a reason. Um, now that we talked a lot about the brand, a lot about, you know, real life examples, um, the rest of the team will be talking more about the soft skills and the branding um, going forward. 
Thank you, Logan. And I'm going to get up. <laughs> they gave me the cordless mic for a reason because I like to move around when I talk. So, so I wanted to start off with a quote here, um, just really around, you've heard a lot of different strategies today. You've learned about NetApp, but learned about the importance of staying relevant, right? The world we live in today changes faster and faster and faster. And so it's important to continue pushing yourself to be the best you can be. And so this quote here kind of, kind of takes, a bit, takes that um, and puts it into words. And so when you think about some people who just wade through life, right, and don't necessarily innovate, um, Re reframing that mindset and continuing to push your comfort zones and be and give that 100% to your life. That's how you get the most out of it. So up here on the screen, top of that hard skills over there, technical skills. That's what we've heard a lot about today, right? And the different changing technologies and how to stay relevant on that. So soft skills was also mentioned a couple times. You brought up, especially Brandon there, just a few minutes ago. And so that's something that I definitely want to want to harp on a little bit here to make sure you understand the importance of this. So in a survey sent out um, to hiring managers and recruiters, 90% of them said soft skills were equally or more important than the hard skills. So you can be the straight A student, you can be the genius in the room, but if people don't like to work with you, it doesn't get you as far, right? So you're, you're seal, you're, the ceiling on your success, you put it there by yourself by not improving those soft skills. So really challenging you to think about not how do you, how do you just stay relevant in the technolo technological space, but ultimately how do you develop those soft skills? And so some of the strategies for that are here. So you're at a great opportunity this weekend here at Bayer. Get outside your comfort zone, engage in these different conferences, networking events, meet somebody you don't know. Right? Somebody, you could sit down beside somebody. It's funny because whenever you sit in a room and you want to give people space, right? Not sit next to the right next to them. But that gap that's there in, a, in an uncrowded room like this, it, it creates that gap that sometimes we don't overcome to have that conversation with the person next to us. So I challenge you to do that, right? Don't necessarily crowd, up, crowd right up on somebody if you don't have to, but break that gap down and have that conversation. So if you haven't on the way out, if you haven't met the person next to you, do that. One of your opportunities to develop that soft skill. Group projects. So if for the students in the rooms, raise your hand and embrace those group projects you're assigned, right? And so that's important to understand that these group projects are an opportunity for you to learn how to collaborate because as a student, yes, a lot of times you're graded individually or you get that report card or get the grades on your, you know, your transcript. But once you're in the working world, you certainly are judged on your personal performance, but a lot of it is how your team performs, right? If I win, or if, if the team wins, I win. And that's the mentality you take in the working world. So if you're in the working world, how do you raise your hand for those stretch projects as well? Something outside of your team. How do you raise your hand and get involved in other organizations that are at your company to challenge and grow those soft skills? So a couple of other areas up there, active listening is really big. So communication is something that's a huge soft skill that we, we focus on. And a lot of times when you think about communicating, it's like what I'm doing right now, right? Relaying this message, public speaking, but on the other end of that, kind of goes back to having two ears and one mouth, that listening piece is so critical. And so a lot of times we catch ourselves, I know I do, and I'm sure I'm, I'm not the only one, but when we're in a discussion, especially one, maybe it's not going the way we were hoping it, and it's maybe a little bit of a disagreement, we find ourselves in a situation where we're listening to respond rather than listening to understand. And so I encourage you to, to really focus on that and how you can take that mindset into the conversations that you're, you're a part of. So a couple other things up here, again, Practice makes perfect. So the more and more opportunities you can get outside of your comfort zone to develop these soft skills, the better. 
All right. And so now I'm going to change gears and kind of bring it all together, right? So you understand the importance of staying relevant with both your technical skills, your hard skills, and your soft skills. And now how do you package that together to become a brand that people know? When they know Justin Tomlin or they think or they hear my name or see my picture, they know what to expect. How do you develop that? Um, that package that you can deliver. So first off, I want to start off with a question and feel free to just shout it out. I'll repeat it back into the mic. What are some brands that y'all are loyal to? When you think about your favorite car, favorite restaurant? Chevy. Chevy. Okay. Any, any other ones out there? Honda. Honda. Okay. What about restaurants? New Orleans. New Orleans. Okay. Anything else? Minute Maid. Okay. Nice. Nice. Who's, so earlier, Apple, who's an Android user like me? <laughs> there it is. So a couple of us proud, right? <laughs> so, but you, but you see here and on this screen now, these are some of the top 50 global brands that are out there. And so these companies have really understood the importance of defining what their niche is going to be and how you compare them to those in a similar situation. So when you think about that, Chevy, Honda, BMW, I, when I think of Honda, I've driven one to 250,000 miles and another one to 330, and I still <laughs> sold them. They were still running at the end of it, right? So when I think about Honda, I think about that reliability. Maybe not the nicest car in the world. They're, they're pretty nice, but nothing like a BMW or an Audi or something like that. But it's just what type of, how, how they've packaged their brand. So that way, when you think about Honda, you know reliability. So how does this apply to yourself? So in a def sentence definition, really your personal brand is how others perceive you as compared to others in a very similar position. So that's what, it's a way to think about how, how, you, how you look at your personal brand. And so similar to what was said earlier is when you go to apply for jobs, how do you set yourself apart? So I'm going to walk through five steps um, or five keys to developing your personal brand. So the first one here being know yourself and know your worth. So I think it's a very important um, approach to take is to continue that self-reflection in the hectic busy world that we live in today it is so hard to disconnect and just shut off and spend some time focusing on us right and so really spending that time in introspection that you can think about what am I constantly you know um, rewarded for or maybe at work complimented on what do you do well but what are the things that maybe you don't do as well what are some things that you have for areas of opportunity and ultimately that starts with yourself is spending the time to really reflect on your experiences by yourself but also as Brandon mentioned earlier have those conversations with other people we all have blind spots and what I mean by that is some of the areas of opportunities we know we have but other ones we don't know and it takes us getting outside of our comfort zone and asking the people that we know will be honest with us, right? I know my mom, not the best person to ask what my weaknesses are. She's not going to give me too many, right? But asking a coworker that I know will be honest with me. So really seeking those opportunities to continue learning about yourself and what areas of opportunity you do have. So number two, be authentically unique. So again, it goes back to really standing apart from the crowd. Um, so just like this little duck here is really, you were born to stand out, right? You weren't born to blend in with the crowd. And so don't try to do that. Um, it's important to understand that you've got a lot of different opportunities to differentiate yourself. And so you think about it, if you're still a student, how can you join different organizations or different clubs? Um, for me, it was easy. I went into an HR career path. My major was a nutrition. 
major that presented other challenges, right? But it gave, it gave me an opportunity to be a little bit different. And I could talk about my experience and how it could add value, and I see it doing it today, is I have more of a research, research mindset, right? And a little bit of one that project management is something that comes naturally to me now through the, going through nutrition, because we run nutrition trials, and that's certainly a project management timeline. So it's how you can set yourself apart and ultimately find those things that are going to be transferable as well, if it is something that completely differentiates yourself. Another thing, first impressions matter. And so this was mentioned earlier as well, is when you think about your brand and showing up and across different platforms as well, but you never know when your first impression is going to happen. That person that you order in front of at the coffee shop could be the interviewer in your interview later that day. You just never know, right? So that's why this brand and this concept of brand is so critical, is it's how you show up every single day. And it's, that's why it's important to think through that first, first couple of steps, knowing yourself and being unique, because whoever that is, you want to be it. Because if you fake it, it's not going to work out for you, right? You can only fake it for so long. And so if you are truly genuine, this becomes a lot easier to make those great first impressions because you can show up as yourself. Number four, again, be consistent across platforms. Um, it's, it's critical that you, you think about your LinkedIn profile and you really leverage that. I think it's, it was somewhere in the 90s a couple years back, and now it's, I'm sure, about 100%, right, of, of recruiters have hired someone off of LinkedIn. It's just the tool that we use. And so it's important to build out that brand and be consistent. Have branded bios across yours, right? So my thing is helping others realize their potential is a passion of mine. And so that is on pretty much every type of social media that I have because that's something that is part of my brand that I want people to know. So they know that they can come to me and I can help, you know, have those conversations, push them out of that comfort zone to find those passions in life and to make the most of it, right? That unlimited potential. And number five, values, passion, and purpose. So one activity that I've done every year that I've been in the working world, I heard it my first year after I came out of college, was write down your five top values at least once a year that you have for your work environment. And eventually, because companies have values, right, teams have values, and eventually they may become out of sync because just as companies change, we change as well. So it's important to think through, maybe it's something like flexibility. Do you really love having the flexibility in your job? Autonomy in it? Um, collaboration? And for me, having an impact is just something that is a very top priority. So something that's going to, a job that's going to give me the opportunity to have autonomy in my role, but ultimately be able to see the impact of it. And in my role as an HR program manager managing the intern programs and university grad hire programs, I see that every single day. So that's the values piece of this. When I think about passion as well, you know, some people give you advice to always try and find your passion, right? And, and I think that's a daunty or, you know, a very lofty goal to find that one passion that you've got in life. And so what I encourage you to think about is how you can continue to grow and upskill and push and get outside of your comfort zone, because that's when you find passions, right? So you can find the areas, like I say, helping others realize their unlimited potential is something I am truly passionate about. And I don't know if that will ever change, but I'm certainly finding other areas that of my life that I'm able to get outside of my comfort zone and find those different areas that I'm passionate about as well that are offshoots from that. Um, the purpose 
piece as well. How do you combine all of this together, right? And figure out what your purpose is going to be when you combine those passions and the values that align with, align with you and the work you're doing and the teams you're on as part of, then you can really start to figure out, okay, how do I put this into action and really get the purpose and the impact that you're going to have through that? So what I want to do is really close with one of my favorite quotes because I think, it's, I think it's important to think about continuing to stay relevant and upskilling in understanding what the world needs as it changes. And that is certainly something that's important to keep in mind. But I think I truly believe this quote that at the end of the day, the most important thing is to figure out what makes you come alive. When does time fly by fastest for you? What are those passions and those areas that you could just thrive in? Find that, because that is ultimately what the world needs. All righty, and I think that is it. So thank you all so much. I just want to make a quick comment. Now you see why we have one of the top intern programs in the world. Yes, let's Justin. give Justin another round of applause. That's fantastic. So we will take questions. Anybody have questions? And please use the mic so they can be recorded. Hello. Uh, Alex Starnes here, NC State grad. Go back. Oh, hey. Go back. <laughs> yeah. okay. So love Raleigh, love that. Um, currently working at Boeing as a, a software designer, product designer. Uh, and I wanted to hit on your piece about, I guess, continuous innovation. I know you mentioned you have two hackathons a year. Uh, but what I loved was like the bit of innovation you had, I guess, was it last week where you said, hey, this isn't working, I need to try something different. And so I'm curious how you guys are, I guess, pushing as a company towards that everyday innovation versus like two times a year hackathons. Like what does that look like at your company? Sure, yeah. So I'll start just because I work in the best organization <laughs> for development at NetApp. And I only say that because I've worked on the product side where our deliverables had timelines that were, um, very much coupled with um, what we were expressing to the customers. So those deadlines are very strict. I work for internal customers. So my customers are our development, are our software developers. Like Greg said, I work in DevOps. And what that looks like in my group is that we get six months, a year sometimes, to go explore new technology with the specific intention of figuring out how to incorporate that into our everyday workflows to make our developers' lives easier, to make our QA engineers' lives easier. We, um, years ago, QA was seen as a, a task where um, people would manually run test cases. There was, it was very procedural. There were a list of items. We hired developers and tests. All of our QA folks write code. Um, we actually took the container technology and we've incorporated into our own workflow. So it's not just that we're testing products that we've incorporated these technologies into. We're using those technologies to optimize our own test and our own workflows to implement these things. Um, we use AI and machine learning to give us predictability about the likelihood that you just submitted a bug. Um, we use it to determine how effectively are, we're using our resources, our hardware for test. So we eat, we eat our own dog food. <laughs> so um, 
our group is a, an innovation hotbed, and it's it's exciting to work in an environment like that because that's very different than you know having deadlines that you constantly need to meet where you can't necessarily innovate like you want to because no one has time to rewrite entire programs for the sake of technology. I'll just add a little bit. So, so we, we try to, you know, we do leverage the hackathons to kick things off. But for those 20, 30 ideas that we say, hey, there's value, we let those teams continue on. And sometimes that may be, you know, a quarter of their time, half their time. Some may be important enough to say, hey, you go do this for a while. And then there's always, you know, out of cycle ideas that come in. And, and we encourage the managers to, you know, you know uh, keep at least 10% of their capacity available for, for innovation, for trying out new ideas. And so, so employees know they have that opportunity. If they have an idea and, and they don't have any critical deadlines, they, they can make that time work. And the managers will work with them, especially the best managers. And so, uh, you know, we, we try to try to upskill our managers as well as we do the, the engineers that have the ideas. So that's part of how we do it as well. So. And the hackathons are factored into our schedule. So whether you work on the product side or you work for internal customers, we build that into the schedules. You are 100% allowed to stop what your everyday job requires of you and go work on something interesting. It's not within your group. A lot of times you're working with people that you don't even know that you never met at completely different sites. It's a very exciting thing. And I worked in a team. And it's also, the cool thing is that it's optional. You're not required to do this, and yet we see participation go up all the time because people enjoy it and they're innovating and they've seen projects come out of Hackathon that have been productized that you know we've pushed it to the field. So, And just to add one last thing, um, I think management, uh, you hinted on this, uh, management plays a key role into um, you know this innovation. I remember when I first uh, joined NetApp and I came up with this idea and I, I talked to my, I, I first asked, you know, more senior people first about it. And then I, I went and talked to my manager and I'm like, hey, why don't we like do this? Like I've looked at all the stakeholders and that, that literally turned into a, an entire Q4 initiative for the company. And I, I had just started, right? So, you know, good, good management, they'll support these uh, new innovative ideas. Hi everyone, uh, Tom Kaikai, Northrop Grumman. Uh, I'm a chief engineer there. I have a team of engineers that I work with every day. Great people, but some of the things you all are doing sound more, you know, a lot more cooler. But. <laughs> um, branding. <laughs> branding, right. I think we could use some lessons there. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask was uh, upskilling as a company. Um, I've been trying to get into a lot of IoT outside of work a little bit, and the more and more I look into it, you know, just thinking back on how do I apply it at work. Um, what I run into is we have layers of security based on just the nature of the kind of work we do. Um, you mentioned local cloud and uh, edge computing, those kind of things. I think we could possibly use those. I'm not sure exactly. So if you all have any kind of advice along those lines, I might help. Um, so, so we, yeah, I think, you know, for, for us, the cloud was, you know, especially as we uh, looked at our test environments, it was, it was, uh, very uh, nerve-wracking for the IT, especially on the security side of things, just as well. And 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 so uh, you know they put in a lot of clamps around that. But then over time, they have actually innovated to make it easier and easier for the engineers to access the cloud in secure ways. So there are ways of doing it. And um, 
So, so I would suggest that, you know, if you want to try to go down that path is, you know, encourage the, you know, work with the, the IT security folks initially and say, hey, you're probably gonna put a lot of clamps around this, but let's over time innovate and in how we can actually make this more effective for all of us to use. That's really how we end up doing it. I won't say it was as smooth as I'm making it sound. It was a lot of hard work and there was a lot of pain, uh, but ultimately we knew that, you know, from a business perspective, we had to get there it was our, where our customers were going. If we didn't go there, their customers are going to leave us behind. And so you know, we had to work you know, hand in hand to make that happen. But it was a partnership that, that we created that, that made that work. And I believe that there are different security um, certifications or standards depending on the sensitivity of the data that you have in the cloud. And usually IT security shops are well versed in these policies and standards and they can really help you figure out where it's applicable and where it's not. We, um, because I work in DevOps, we have to be very mindful of putting any intellectual property in the cloud. And so um, Greg was being nice. It's been a pain. <laughs> but like he said earlier, you know, innovation breeds new use cases and security teams have come up with creative solutions to help enable because going backwards is not an option, right? You're gonna be in the cloud, so let's figure out how to do it securely. Hi, I'm just wondering what advice all of you have for um, people that are returning to the workforce as far as upscaling, um, you know, what the resume should look like and, and so forth. Okay, so that's a great segue. Actually, we're going to switch over. We've got one more activity. If you want to click through this slide there. Well, first we're going to say bye to Greg because he needs to cut out so he doesn't get a $50 charge in the parking lot. <laughs> I catch my flight. Thanks, Greg. Bye, Greg, and thank you so much. So to your question, as far as addressing and putting it on your resume, um, so we're going to actually walk through kind of a LinkedIn profile. And like I mentioned before, now what, 99, 100% of recruiters are hiring off of LinkedIn. So how do you build that out and how do you build it into your, um, to your resume and then ultimately your virtual resume, which is your LinkedIn profile? Does this address your question? Okay, perfect. All right, so there I am on the screen. Okay, so when it came to, you know, LinkedIn's and creating a summary, um, the first thing that I had to change was my profile photo. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have either talked to or been in a room with someone and I'm like, hey, I don't have a business card, but I have, I think it was yesterday, uh, you asked me if I had a business card and I said, I have LinkedIn. So the first opportunity you get a chance to see me outside of, you know, my element is through a social media platform, a professional social media platform, which I think a lot of people fail to recognize that this is supposed to be professional, so the photo should be professional. Um, situation where we had headshots and I was like, okay, that's the first thing that needs to be changed. Okay, and also I used to work in sales and consulting at Oracle and I wanted to have a banner photo that kind of represented the area that I was in. So if you can see it, can't really see it from this uh, edit, but it was Boston where I used to live. So I was like, okay, you know, my, all my clients were in the Boston area. So if you're interested in, you know, photography or something regarding, you know, architecture or something that's like, you know, aesthetically pleasing, you're putting it in a situation in your banner section with a profile photo that obviously at the end of the day hopefully is professional. Um, going into the about section, um, the one area that we had a NetApp a, a thing called Fast Track. Um, 
Richard Bliss, I believe is his name. He went through about 50 LinkedIn, did not tell anybody prior to the session. I was really worried that he was going to pick mine, and thank goodness he did not pick mine. Um, but it was a situation where people had, you know, job experiences, and they said they were still working at a company for 15 years, but they were at NetApp. So it's like when you're looking at a, for a client, looking at my, at my LinkedIn, you're like, where is he working? Is he really work at Oracle? Does he work at NetApp? Does he work at Software AG? What is he doing? So it's like just honing up on that area is huge. In terms of the summary section, the biggest thing that I took away from that, from Justin's point of him saying he wants to help people, um, it's just like a quick one or two sentence summary of like, what am I passionate about? Who am I? Um, in my case, it's, you know, I was a graduate in college, like I ran track and it was like, okay, he's a student athlete. Then it talks about, you know, current experiences. I'm currently in the product marketing space. I work with our channel commercial teams and go to market strategies, content enablement, a lot of buzzwords that allow a recruiter or somebody to say, okay, he does X, Y, and Z. Not, you know, a resume blurb, um, basically copying and pasting resume information, which I've, I know I've done personally in the past on my LinkedIn to make it seem like I have a lot of content. But my thing is simplification is kind of key here, where it's like quick, easy, okay, you know, next, next, uh, next section. Um, so on a whole, you know, obviously, if you're coming back in the work environment, if you are currently in the work environment, the very first thing you want to do, obviously, when it comes to your LinkedIn is kind of changing, curtailing your page, make it more professional, maybe even going through your connection to saying, you know what, some of them are kind of posting some, you know, inappropriate things or things that I wouldn't want my brand to be represented with. Because my old feeling is your friends are a testament of you, you know, whether you like it or not. Your LinkedIn and your Instagram and your social media as a whole is a testament of you. So going through that, I know I've been doing it lately, perusing all of my content, making sure if my parents are following me, which they do now, um, that all my content is, is appropriate and, and right. Um, so when it comes to a job interview and I'm, they're like, they slap your resume down and they'll slap your LinkedIn down, what do you want each one of them to say? Thank you. We are, we are about out of time. So um, I do want to uh, encourage you if you have, um, specifically to your question about returning to the workforce, um, you can reach out and find your local women in technology resources because women in technology um, has programs specifically for women that are returning to the workforce. And if you give me your contact information, I know of an, a specific organization, but I can't think of it at the top of my head, so I'd like to send it to you. Um, it is something that um, women in technology chapters and even um, globally focuses on helping you know, women specifically that that want to uh, return to the workforce because they took time to take care of a loved one or their kids or for whatever reason and helping them really feel comfortable moving back into that space. So there are definitely organizations for that. So I want to thank... Sorry. Nope. One other thing real quick as well. So seeking out companies that also have something called returnships is another great great way to look at look at it as well. I know that is something that a former member of the university relations team is focused on building out at NetApp is returnships um, for, for a variety of reasons that people leave the workforce, but just how to get back in. And certainly looking at those opportunities and seeing what they're going to be able to offer you as well in there is very critical. So similar to how you would weigh out a job, weigh out the returnships and see what types of benefits that's associated. Returnships is my new favorite thing. Like that's just <laughs> such an amazing concept. Um, so I want to thank you all again for spending your time with us this afternoon. I want to thank my colleagues for um, their wonderful insight that they provided. Let's give everyone a round of applause. <laughs> and make sure you come visit NetApp at booth 1306. If you've seen us at Women of Color, we were all about being the data authority. We are also the hybrid cloud data authority. So thank you and have a great rest of your conference.
Thank you for listening to The Importance of Upskilling. Stay current in the evolving technology world. A professional development seminar presented by NetApp. Featuring Product Marketing Manager, Logan Carrington. Global AI Solutions Engineer, Brandon Johnson. HR Program Manager, Justin Tomlin. Senior Software Engineer, Mecca Williams. And Vice President of Engineering, Greg Keller. If you've enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.bea.org. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.